Hey, coming up today, we have blues musician Anthony Gomes. He currently has the number one blues record, High Voltage Blues. And this album features uh, drummer Ray from Korn, uh, the bassist Billy Sheehan, formerly Mr. Big and David Lee Ross Band. Uh, and Anthony and I have a great discussion about blues, rock, being a music fan, his interesting background, the cool charity he started, and more coming right up. Welcome, Anthony. It's uh, nice to meet you. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, you, your new album, High Voltage Blues. Uh, this is the description is if BB King was an ACDC. Is that what, yeah. what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I, I love uh, all the nuance and the blues uh, soul that BB King has, and I love the drive that ACDC possesses. So those were uh, sort of two touchstones for me in, in making this album. Yeah, so you re-re this is uh this is an album where you re-record uh some some of your old songs because you have quite a career. You've been going since the '90s, and you just re-recorded like these are like fan favorites, basically. So what happened was uh, Joe O'Brien, president of Rat Pack Records, discovered our music during COVID, and thought that hey, here's an artist that could be marketed to a rock world, but hasn't been done so. You know, we're sort of a blues rock. So in that B.B. King ACDC mix, we were only marketed to the B.B. King people. So his idea was, let's introduce your past. Uh, but, you know, I, I said, hey, man, this can't be a money grab. We can't just remix these songs or whatever. So we got Billy Sheehan and Ray Luzier on a couple of tracks. And uh, I re-sang stuff. Uh, I replayed guitar. So it's for our existing fans, it's it's not a rehashing, you know, to me, it's almost like, uh, this is my first album part two, you know? Um, so we wanted to go in, in that way and, and give this album some integrity, um, by doing, by doing that. And there's three new songs and, uh, yeah, I feel really good about it. I feel like it's cohesive too. Um, that way, you know, stuff that was four or five years old sounds relevant to what's happening today. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good description. Cause it is, there's like some songs that are, I feel like just classic blues. And then there's others that are more just bluesy rock, which I love both uh, personally, but how did you now I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Cause I just saw that right before you came on, I was reading a review of the album and, and I didn't even know that Ray and uh, Billy had been, been on there. So I was going to ask you, how did you get them? Uh, that was a record label. Uh, that's It's good to have friends in high places, man. I guess. So the Rat Pack people, got them yeah yeah and um raised in a band called kxm that records uh, mm -hmm. rat pack um and then you know he's friends with billy so things fell into place and uh they dug the music and uh, i was so honored to have them on the record man i mean these are these are such uh heavy heavy cats so uh were you there yeah. when they recorded or did they just record and send their tracks in they recorded and, and sent their tracks because they were done in 2021 and everybody mm. was trying to isolate as much as possible. Um, sure. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. But in, in the future, you know, this has gone so well, you know, we're kicking around the idea of, of maybe exploring this idea some more and uh, maybe we could do that in person the next time around. Yeah. Or maybe even a show, like probably not a whole tour because those guys are so busy, but maybe even like a one-off show with like the three of you, that would be cool. Well, Ray has said next time we're in Nashville, he's coming out and jamming. So uh, that would be <laughs> that would be killer, man. 
Oh, you're in Nashville? No, I live in St. Louis, but uh, okay. next time we're on tour, if he's in that, you know, he lives in Nashville. So. Oh, uh, I see what you're saying. So if you're in Nashville. So yeah, yeah. And, and you know, rockets. So that, that'd be great. Hi, what's St. Louis like? I've never been there. I've just heard things. I've heard good. I've heard bad. But uh, what's your take? You must like uh, it. If you I, I love St. Louis, uh, you know, because that's why I live here, because I really love it. St. Louis is interesting because it's right in the middle. So to me, it's either the most northern southern city or the most southern northern city or the most western eastern city. It's definitely a gateway, right? Um, the Missouri Compromise went right through St. Louis. Um, so, yeah, it's a very interesting place. To, and to me, it's very America. I think it's undervalued and underrated. You know, it gets a bad rap in, in some ways. Um, and I really see, see the city growing. It, it's had a great musical legacy. Albert King lived here, the great blues man. Chuck Berry's from here. Miles Davis, um, you know, uh, Fifth Dimension. You know, there's been a lot of, of great music people out of this city. And it, I think it really gets overlooked because, well, it's right next door to Nashville and, and Chicago. So, um, yeah, I, it's a great city, man. Is there still uh, like music scene? Is there blues clubs there and rock clubs and places to yeah, go and see live music? Absolutely. I, I would say it has one of the richer uh, music scenes in the country. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really cool. You know, the unfortunate thing is, you know, uh, Nashville's about a four and a half hour drive. Chicago's about a four hour drive away from St. Louis. So a lot of great musicians end up getting work in these cities. And sometimes they transplant there because it's so easy to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, there is a, a rich scene with a lot of really great players and, um, yeah, it's very, you know, it's no Nashville. I mean, but, uh, you know, I mean, where that's attracted everybody or Austin, yeah. you know, but uh, as far as a natural organic city, I, I love it. I, I love the people in St. Louis. They're so friendly. Um, I, I immediately was taken back as just to how cool the place was and is. And uh, it's got a real Midwest vibe. So. Yeah, I really dig it, man. It's it's a cool. How did time. you end up there though? Because aren't you from Canada originally? Yeah, well, you know, I've been avoiding the cops, so as they've been chasing them. Uh, I I moved to Chicago for four years, and I wanted to get an education in the blues, and I, I hung out with all these masters and um, got a lot of great opportunities. And after four years of being there, I felt like okay, I've soaked that up. I moved to Nashville for about eight years to learn more about songwriting and be in that amazing environment. Um, for those who aren't too familiar with Nashville, it's not just country music. Um, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a really rich music environment. And I mean, you can hear such amazing talent. You ever go to karaoke in Nashville? It's freaking scary, right? Oh, I, I haven't mean, done that. I've only been to Nashville twice. I saw live music ever, but I've never been to karaoke. That's a good idea though. Oh, dude. Check, man. It's so crazy. It's uh, it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's like these ringers are coming up, you know, uh, I mean, just everybody there. Half the people that live in Nashville are affiliated in the music business in some capacity. So either they work for a label or, uh, you know, they're a stage crew or so you're just you're just surrounded. 
what I loved about St. Louis was it was the exact opposite. You know, I could never turn off in Nashville. If I went out for dinner, oh, there's some record producer. Oh, oh there's some guitar player I know. Or it's it was music 24-7, and that was great when I was there. But now I kind of I want to have a balance, you know. So when I'm off the road or when I'm being creative, you know, my friends – half my friends in St. Louis aren't musicians, you know? And, and so it's sort of like, uh, that's very important. I find, you know, um, just to have some sort of balance. It's really good for your art. No, absolutely. You, you got to like recharge. I know for me, like as a podcaster, like just, I love doing podcasts, all that, but sometimes you just need to recharge and take a break and then you come back refreshed and you're like, okay, I'm ready to go. It's probably the same with music. Exactly. And then I think as an artist or podcaster, uh, whatever, if you don't have that break, you get you, I think you start making bad creative decisions just because you're not fresh, because, mm -hmm. you know, you're sort of, uh, um, you know, I won't say burnt out, but you have no real touchstone or perspective or, or you know, so. Yeah, I hang out with my non musician friends and we talk about stuff that is, you know, nothing to do with music. And then you come back and you're like, Oh yeah, music. This is the coolest thing ever. Okay. You know? So yeah, that's really important. What are your other interests uh, that are non-music? Like are you into sports and things or? Yeah, man, I, I, you know, I'm from Canada originally, so I'm a big hockey fan uh, mm. and I keep cheering for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And it's, it's really just really, really sad. Uh, yeah, I, I love I love sports, man. I, I am, you know, St. Louis is a rich baseball history. And um, so, yeah, so I, I think that, you know, when I'm off the road, I try to be as uncool as possible. It's like, uh, you know, I try to do like the most mundane, non-crazy things, you know, like going for walks, grocery shopping, <laughs> checking out a movie. Uh just because I find that's really, really important, you know, um, especially when you're on the road and you get a lot of adulation and, um, you know, a lot of support from your fans and they're so awesome. Um, and, and they're great for us and to us, you know, but, uh, if you stay in that world too long, it, it's again, it, you know, nobody cheers when you do the dishes, right. Or, <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody cheers when you scrub the toilet and that's sometimes a lot harder than the, you know, uh, doing a gig. No, I'm joking, but you know, the point I'm trying to make is just, um, yeah, I, I try to uh, be as unrock star and, um, it's almost like, you know, when you're an artist, it's almost like you have the superhero thing. You're not trying to be a superhero. You just have, you've been blessed to have this gift and you know to make a superhero analogy superman's actually superman and when he's not superman he has to put on the glasses and the suit and so nobody so nobody recognizes him well we're i'm not <laughs> that famous that i have to do that but the idea is you sort of have to like uh, you know, be, I try to be in touch with my inner nerd as possible, you know, to be as uncool as possible, just so um, I, I recharge, man, you know, so um, maybe I shouldn't say that in an interview. I don't know. Oh, I love it. No, that makes sense. Because it sounds like I mean, that's like, like you said, that's your gift. So that's probably how you get a high like being on stage. And that's like amazing. But then you'll take it for granted if you're just always doing it, and you don't have those breaks and the, the recharging and 
Yeah, exactly. You appreciate it more because you know you're if you're doing the dishes or you're scrubbing a toilet, and then and then you go from that to being on stage and have people cheering. It's it's like a it's complete 180, and you can really appreciate. Whereas if you always are just on stage and always being worshipped and uh, you know adored, then you probably don't appreciate it as much. I mean, that's why you see these people that that are on that high high level that probably never scrub a toilet. Maybe they don't appreciate it as much. Yeah, you, you know, and I, I found for myself, like early on in my career, when I wasn't gigging, I was still trying to get that high. I was hanging out at music clubs and schmoozing, and 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 after a while, I felt like, wow, this is kind of an empty existence, you know. Um, uh, it's it's sort of like it was not balanced, you know. We keep coming back to this balance thing, but you know. Uh, I, I like a good steak, but you got to have your vegetables too, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like, you gotta, you gotta mix everything up and, and have the right balance. So, um, yeah. And, and that's been, I feel I'm 52 now. I feel at 52, I am making the best music of my career. I am performing to the best of my ability. And I feel like I'm just scratching the surface and if I didn't have this balance, I don't think I'd be able to do that, you know, and uh, I think it really gives me legs to, to go. And, and it's, it's exciting. Do you think though, when you're starting out though, maybe you, you, you kind of do need to go all in, in a way, because it's so competitive with the music business. And if you're, if you're balancing too much, then you're not going to be able to be successful because you do have to kind of do the schmoozing and be hanging out in the music clubs. And you almost have to live and breathe music 24 seven to get to that point. Right. That's a good point. Now, how can I say this? I'm always thinking of music. It's always in the back of my mind. I'm always schmoozing. Like that doesn't get turned off. Okay. You try to, you try to direct that because anybody that's an artist is a, is probably borderline obsessive, right? They're always thinking about their music that, that you know, and it's important to push yourself out of that. Uh, so yeah, so maybe I'm I'm over uh, <laughs> emphasizing the balance, maybe for my own best interest, you know. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Early on, it's very important, um, and and uh, but throughout your career, you know, just trying to find ways to get your your music heard, you know, especially in in today's world uh, that's ever changing. Yeah. Didn't you say that um, one of the biggest things that helped your career was uh, your your first couple albums, you were struggling. And then your third album, you took out this like double page ad or something. And that is one of the things that boosted your career the most. Yeah. So, man, uh, one of our fan favorite albums is our third one. It's called Unity. It's sort of got the ball rolling. And um, I financed that album myself. And back in those days, there were no home studios. This was 2000. So I saved up $30,000 to record a record. That's a down payment on a house. You know, Um, I bought this crappy old van so I could start touring and it was breaking down. You know, uh, people in the blues circuit were like, yeah, you win the award for the worst van. You know, so I did all these things and I'm just, you know, I'm not making any money. You're playing for 400 bucks a night and you got to pay your band 500 bucks, you know, for all the guys and hotels. And, and, you know, and I get this review in this in sort of the leading blues magazine. And it said another day, another hot shot leather pants wearing blues rock wannabe, like something like that. And this magazine was 
notoriously positive. Like, they, you know, and I was like, whoa. And I, I was so upset because we were getting tremendous reviews everywhere. And hmm. I thought, man, whoever this writer is, um, I still know who he is, but uh, whoever this person is, wow, they're not doing all these hard things. They're, they're not investing all this money and, and working 70 hours a week and not, you know, living on a dream. You know, they're, they're not doing this. And then a couple of words from somebody who maybe only gave this album a quick listen can shatter whatever we've done. So I took out a two-page ad. I, I took out a loan. I borrowed money. And in the magazine that crucified us, interestingly enough. And oh, I didn't know that a part of it, that yeah. it was in the same magazine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so interesting. Um, and, and, you know, at the same time, we had some opening shows with B.B. King that those tour dates were in the magazine. Wow. Um, you know, Dan Aykroyd had something uh, nice to say about us, um, you know, and, and you know, <clears throat> other people had said, you know, like one of the 30 best blues albums of all time, like uh, in complete contrast to what the magazine had said. So uh, <clears throat> that really, really put us on the map. <clears throat> and uh, we were doing a big <clears throat> blues festival. And uh, there you go. There's Tower. Uh, no, sorry. There's this magazine. Um, it was called Blues Rock Review, and who later became champions. And the editor is sitting there watching our show at this big blues festival. We sold 350 CDs after our gig. The line was, I can't tell you, man. It went on forever. And he was in the booth right next to me with every CD I was signing. And his significant other uh, bought a CD, too which I thought was like great vindication. Now he was the editor, not the writer. Sure. But uh, he, <clears throat> yeah, you know, so uh, these are the struggles as a young artist that, you know, you have to do. And nobody cares, man, when you're starting out, they don't care. It's like, you know, they still don't care. You know, you have to fight for every, every inch you get. Um, and you do it because, you know, you're almost paternal about it. You know, these songs are your babies, man, and nobody's going to mess with your kids, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there you go. I, mean, I don't think I've ever shared that story, Chuck. So <laughs> thanks, thanks for good. therapy, man. I feel great, dude. Yeah, no, that's so cool though. I love those kinds of stories to understand how people, you know, become successful, like how you get to this point where you have the number one blues album, right now. I mean, that's just kind of, it's kind of neat to hear that, that struggle. I think that stuff is inspiring. Cause like you said, the first, you, I mean, you're, you're, you're having this junky van or whatever. I mean, you were really, it wasn't like coming easy for you at, at that point. No, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I've always had this funny joke, you know, somebody asked me, you know, uh, what would a if they ever made a movie about your life, what would it be like? You know? And I was like, okay, here's what it'd be like. I'm playing this club. I'm a young kid and there's like eight people in the club and I'm just playing my heart out. And, you know, eight people are going really crazy, you know, and some guy comes up to me and goes, keep at it, kid, keep at it. And then the next scene, 20 years later, the same thing, <laughs> you know, I mean, I've had to sleep on couches. I've had to, you know, early on long, you know, for many years, it's not, uh, in the position that we're at now, man, it's taken a long time and a lot of personal sacrifice to get here. 
Um, and we haven't fit into a neat box. I play blues and I'm from Canada. Like that's not really the thing you think of when you think of blues. And then I like to play a flying V and turn it up to 11. So all the blues purists go running for the hills whenever we show up. It's like they think we're going to, we're a degradation to the music and we're going to pervert whatever wholesomeness that music has, you know, because uh, I, I do love ACDC and I do love uh, Ronnie James Dio as much as I love John Lee Hooker. You know, I mean, to me, they're interchangeable. It's not, uh, I don't have that dividing line. Um, and when I sing, you know, I'll rip off an Otis Redding line and a BB King line, and then I'll rip off a, a Paul Rogers or a Dio thing, you know, uh, so whatever to, and that doesn't fit in a neat box. So nobody wants to invite you to the party. Now the fans and supporters and music listeners, they're on board. So you kind of have to sort of fight the tastemakers early on and, and say, no, man, this is my lane. This is the lane that I want to be. Uh, if I want to play a blues song and finger tap like Eddie Van Halen or try to be like Eddie Van Halen, uh, I'm going to do it, man. Just because, you know, Howlin' Wolf didn't do it, I'm going to do it. You know, so anyway, that's 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 been the challenge. And if there's an artist or up-and-coming people watching this, you know, early on, people are going to look at what makes you different as a negative. And that is your superpower. What makes you different is what will make you lasting and endure and rise above. It's just you're going to have to kick the crap out of the out of the door to walk in through it if you are a little bit different. So um, to, to any artist out there that is feeling and experiencing these things, keep going, man. Keep going because um, because you're going to get there. And what makes you different is what sets you apart. But nobody likes different in the beginning. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. Cause I've definitely heard that before too, that, you know, being different is your superpower, but um, it's interesting when you say that it's harder in the beginning, which makes sense. But then in the long run, if you stick to your guns and you keep, you know, being true to yourself, then being different is going to be a strength. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, uh, you know, uh, the joke is, you know, for the industry, who the hell's BB King? Oh, no, we don't want that. That's something like T-Bone Walker. Hey, man, the BB King's making a lot of noise. Um, we should sign him. Then the third thing is, hey, let's sign somebody that sounds like BB King. You know, I mean, it, it, right. that, that's, sort of, that's, the, that's the journey it's got to take. Um, and and uh, sometimes the path is, is relatively quickly because you have people in your corner um, really pushing for you, you know, and other times... Uh, those people haven't discovered you yet and, and you have to make a lot of noise on your own um, to get those people. And especially more and more um, in the industry that, that we are in today, um, it takes a while. You know, it took 20 years for us to get a label to really, that we felt was, okay, this is a great partner for us. Um, this is this is a label that believes in what we're doing and, and is on board. So, um you know, and then you get things like Billy Sheehan and Ray Luzier and, and you know, all these things that are happening to us now because this label believes in us. It, it, it took 20 years to get there. So. Uh, wow. That's cool, yeah. though. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so, it is. 
Now, I was just going to say, like, you, you've, played with, you've played with a lot of these uh, blues artists, but also you've played with, with the rock artists. Um, so that's got to be kind of cool because, like, you've, you got to meet Jeff Beck. You got to, did, you, did you share a stage with Sammy Hagar, too? Uh, we opened for Sammy at, at Summerfest, um, and that was really, really cool. Um, such a nice guy, man. Such a, him and Michael Anthony both were, um, uh, you know, it was funny cause I was running with a band. It's not my current band. That was about five years ago. And these guys weren't really versed in rock. They came, um, from more R and B gospel, you know? And, uh, so they're like, Hey man, uh, I talked to one of the techs and they said we could stay uh, for Sammy Hagar's show you know, because the venue was trying to get us out. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, well, did you get a name or something? Yeah, Michael Anthony. <laughs> I said, dude. The bass player for Van yeah, Halen, yeah. Yeah, I said, this guy sold 50 million records. But He's not a tech. No, but as a testament to Michael, he was so down to earth and so nice. Uh, I hate to use the word nice, but he was. He was just like a good, and Sammy was great. We got done. Our said he's like, are, are you the guy that's making all the noise up there? And I'm like, yeah. Hey, have you tried? Do you like to drink? Have you tried my new rum? <laughs> he starts pouring some rum. I'm like, <laughs> have I just joined an infomercial with Sammy Hagar? Yeah, you know. And uh, wow. so I gave him, I gave him a couple CDs and and uh, and uh, I said, uh, hey man, here's here's a couple of uh, CDs for the bus. You know, that's the kind of as you know as an industry thing you say bus. You know, and he goes. Oh man, we don't take buses because <laughs> he flies, right? And, Probably has uh, a private jet. Yeah, he's he's yeah, yeah. from Van Halen and the Cabo uh, Wabo stuff, and all. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, yeah, man, we don't do a bus either. Yeah, we're in we're in this Mercedes Sprinter van, <laughs> but it was, <laughs> it was it was cool. He was so down to earth, so great. Um, and and uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of these people along the way um, that have been there. And, and so supportive and um, just cool people, you know, wow. Um, yeah. One, wonderful experience. Yeah. A lot of the legends. Now, what about, cause now you're, you're kind of at that point where you can start helping out and mentoring some of the younger up and coming musicians. Like um, I just had a uh, Tyler Bryant on, I don't know if you're familiar with Tyler Bryant and the shakedown. I love yeah. those guys. I think he's super right. talented, super young, nice kid. Have you ever had any interactions with him or? Um, I haven't, but uh, I'm aware of what he does, and and I really love what he's doing, and it's it's very exciting, man. It's very. Is exciting. there other other younger bands or or uh, musicians out there that you're a fan of or that you've interacted with? Oh well, you know, I have a couple of folks that are like teenagers, and they've come to the show. Um, I've I've got this uh, guy that I've known since he was like eight, and his parents were fans, and now he's starting a thing. His name's Sean McKee, and he's starting a band and um i've had other people that i've even given guitar lessons to like skyped or a couple of things or giving them some advice or um because i've had people that have done that for me you know through the years and uh, when you're starting out that's a big thing you know just for mm -hmm. somebody to have to take yeah. an interest in you, you know and 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 um uh it's so important man you, you know you realize that you're only here for a minute in the grand scheme of things. And um, I'm so honored to be a part of this thing called music. And my generation is just gonna take it down the field 10 yards and then we're gonna pass it on to the next generation. 
and they're going to take it down. And and um, that's such a cool thing. When you, I think, when you look at yourself less as an individual, and not only um, as part of the collective, but as part of the greater collective of the, a part of music as it's existed and will exist. Um, it, it's such an honor. It's such a very, very cool thing. Very cool. Yeah. So besides the older uh, musicians and then you know, the, the newer ones, and then there's kind of those ones that are kind of maybe came up around the same time. Like, I don't know where you'd put Kenny Wayne Shepherd, but I love him. Like, I mean, he's not really old school, but he's not really a newer because he's been around like 20 years or something, but you played with him too, right? Yeah. yeah great, great guitar player. Um, you know, a great singer in that band too, Noah Hunt. And uh, Kenny took the Stevie Ray Vaughan thing and applied more of a, a mainstream songwriting approach to it. And, um, you know, sort of, I think what Green Day did to punk music, you know, they, yeah, pop in it, and um, I love it. I love. I have all his albums. I listen to them. Um, I think he's a great artist. And uh, you know, the only thing I've realized is that there's not, there aren't simply enough hours to listen to all the music I want to listen to. I go to the record store and I buy like three albums, and I go, when will I listen to these? God, it might be like in a month I'll be able to put this one on the turntable because I have other stuff I want to listen to, and you know. Um, it's what a great problem to have, but it's, <laughs> I wish I had more time just to listen. That's good that you still listen to music. You'd be surprised how many musicians I interview and they say, Oh, I never listen to music. Cause I'm always in music all the time. It's like when I have a break, I don't want to look like I, I, who would I have on? I can't remember who it was, who was telling me they go to the gym even, and they don't listen to music at the gym. They'd rather just hear silence. Right. That shocked me. Well, you, you know, <clears throat> look, whatever works, you know, um, like some bands do Christmas albums and other bands don't. I don't think Led Zeppelin would ever do a Christmas record, but, <laughs> you know, uh, Rod Stewart might. And maybe the Beatles did a Christmas or Elvis. You know, it all depends on who you are. Right. For me, I am still that 16 year old kid that, you know, my first rock concert was was Dio. You know, I still listen to Ronnie James Dio. I love it. I just he's got a couple live things that just came out from Donington. And, you know, um, Vivian Campbell is playing the heck out of that guitar in 1983. And then um, then there was a show from 87 uh, with Craig Goldie on guitar. And, and that's an amazing show. And Ronnie's singing like, what? You know, so that was yesterday when I was hanging out. That's what I was listening to, you know. And, and um, I got so charged about that. man. I, you know, I'm picking up my guitar and I'm, you know, uh, trying to do my best Vivian Campbell impersonations, you know, cause I was so inspired by that. And, and tomorrow I'll probably listen to a BB King record and, you know, work on my vibrato. And, and to me, I've, I've always tried to keep uh, connected to that 16 year old music fan. Um, I, I think that's very important. And I had the privilege of meeting Jeff Beck and I noticed he was just so excited about music. Like, and, you know, just generally, and I was speaking with guys in the band and they're like, oh, yeah, man, he's just he loves music. He's still supercharged about this. Um, so you got to be, man. You got yeah. to go to that, that inner kid, man, that that wide eyed kid. And and, uh, it, and and maybe the balance I've tried to create allows me to do that, because in my normal Clark Kent life, 
it's really being as nerdy as you can be. And, you know, and, and it's like, you know, watching Lord of the Rings and listening to Dio. I mean, that's about as nerdy as you can get. Right. You know, so um, that, that's my thing, you know? So yeah. Yeah. I, I try to do that. And, and um, I love music. You know, I, I just love it so much. It's, it's the, it's the greatest thing that's ever been created in my, my opinion. Yeah. Does it help when you're creating music or, or when you're listening do you feel like it's cathartic at times, like to help get out emotions? Like if you're having a bad day, I mean, does it have that kind of effect on you? Cause I know it does for me. Um, yeah. Playing my guitar is really a, a good release. If I'm having a bad day, um, I have to be happy or to write a song. I have to be in a good frame of mind to songwrite, or I have to be really, um, upset about a specific thing or, or, or you know, um, moved by a specific event that channels an emotional response. And, and then later on, I, I write the song when I'm in a better frame of mind. But yeah, I have to be, you know, some people, it looks like, you know, I, I, I under, from what I understand, Eric Clapton, when things are really hard, he writes great songs, you know. Um, I'm not that kind of person. I, I have oh. to be in a good, good frame of mind to write music. So you've never tried, like when you're having just like the worst things happening emotionally, you've never tried to sit down and write a song. Well, I have, but nobody would listen to it because it's horrible. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's, it, it's just, I, I guess because I'm so such an emotional person that I can't, I'm not in a place to communicate. You know, and that's what writing a song is. You know, some people that get, yeah, I just sort of shut down, I think. Um, but I'm able to remember that feeling. And then later I'm able to express it um, when I'm in a better place. So what if you're in a really good and you're just having an amazing day, then you can, then it's easier to write like a, a, a song and you can write like a really fun, happy song? Yes, exactly. Um, and then, um, uh, well, I, when I was starting out in Chicago, there were certain venues that would not hire you if you were Caucasian to play the blues in Chicago. There was a strict note uh, for years and years and years. And the reason was a lot of people were tourists and they wanted to see authentic blues bands, authentic. Mm. And, you know, a, a pasty faced Canadian is really what, you know, they wanted to see somebody from, Louisiana or Mississippi, you know. Um, and I wrote Blues and Technicolor just because I was very upset. The line came to me when I was upset, but I didn't write the song. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, oh that's, wow, okay. I'll remember that and then I'll revisit it, you know. Um, I, I think maybe you write your first, a lot of times your inspiration comes from the heart and then you need your head to finish the draft, to finish the second draft of it. So I guess when I am emotional, yes, I have all these things and I kind of take them with me to a later place and um, play Tetris with all the ideas when I'm in a better frame of mind. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. You, you bring up the, uh, the race thing with the, the blue, the, that's interesting because isn't that like explain to my audience, your education, like, I, I don't know the whole story, but I know that you went to University of Toronto 
um, kind of more to get your parents off your back that, oh, I'm going to go to college and get a real job. I'm not going to be a musician. But then um, you did your master's thesis on what was it, the racial cultural evolution of blues music. So explain to yeah. me like what that was about. It sounds interesting to me. Well, you know, yeah. So basically my parents were very strict. Um, so I got my ma- I got my bachelor's degree. And I was just killing time. No, mom and dad. Yeah, I'm not going into music. No. Wow. Okay. It hasn't happened yet. Oh, I'm going to go get my master's degree. So I, I'm taking, you know, history and, and stuff. And um, we start talking about the blues in history. And I was like, I could write a research paper on this. This is amazing. And um, basically what happened was in, in 1960, blues music was essentially an African-American form performed listened to um by african americans by the end of the decade it was integrated um there were bands audiences that you, you know were tuning in why did this happen you know why what happened what were all the factors that happened here um and i think for myself i wanted to understand how did i fit in because um I started off loving rock and roll, but I loved blues rock and roll. I didn't know that it was blues rock and roll. I loved Led Zeppelin and I loved Jimi Hendrix. And, um, you know, then somebody told me about this guy that played Hendrix as, as well as Hendrix. And his name was Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, and mm-hmm. so I got into the Stevie Ray Vaughan guy, you know, and I'm listening to all this rock that's actually blues based. And then one day I bought a B.B. King album and my world changed because you know, I, I tell people it's like loving apple pie, but you've never had an apple. And now you've gone to the, you know, and it's like, hey, man, I've been eating this apple pie because I really like this apple. Um, and when I heard B.B. King, uh, Jimi Hendrix made more sense to me because I was going back to, to where they got it from. Um, and, man, I just fell in love. And then I bought a Buddy Guy album the next day, and I love Buddy Guy. And, um I just got so deep into all this music and um, I just had to find out, man, you know, what's up with this? You know, why do I love this music so much? Do I have a right to play this music? You know, um, and then, I, uh, you know, I would joke and say, you know, being uh, Canadian and white is sort of like being white twice, you know, and I'm trying to <laughs> play the blues and it's like, how is yeah. this working out? You know, so. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, it's funny because you have a song on your latest album uh, called White Trash Princess, which is, again, that's a re-recorded song. But it's just funny, that term, I remember I, I had written a Yelp review on, on a restaurant or something. I, I used the term white trash and it got taken down. So I'm like, yeah. so we can't say white trash anymore because I'm white. I can't use that term. So it's an interesting world we live in with the with the racial things. It's a, It could be touchy sometimes. Well, you know, things have evolved and they continue to evolve. And what something meant to a certain group five or 10 years ago may not be relevant. You know, it's sort of like it's, you know, I'm on board, whatever. You know, if we want to change a vernacular, if we can't say something, you know, White Trash Princess was a funny song. It's supposed to be funny. And in my opinion, what makes something funny is if you get close to the edge but you don't cross it. And everybody goes, whoa, whoa. But you haven't crossed that edge. But maybe five or 10 years later, the edge, the line has changed. And now, yeah, your toe's over the line. 
Um, but you know that, that uh, I think if we can be tolerant of understanding what things meant, and then also be tolerant to accept change, then I'm on board with that. That's yeah, that's, I like that. That's well, uh, tolerant to accept change. Yeah, that's that's true because things change, and that's okay too. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and and um, and you know, um, you know, not to get too deep or you know, cause too much controversy, but you know. There's these folks that get very upset with something that they think is intolerant, and and I understand, but they act in such an intolerant manner. It's like what, what, no, no, hey, buddy, what you're doing is wrong. Let's let's not do that, you know. But anyway, um, yeah. Well, I think the the issue that I think that it for me, anyways, that people don't do in this world right now is they don't try to understand other people's perspective. They only understand their own and they can't understand why anybody wouldn't think exactly the same way as they do. And so I think if we all just tried to listen and even if you disagree, I think that you don't have to necessarily agree with the person, but you could try to understand where they're coming from. I think we'd all be a lot better off. Yeah. You know, so I saw this great cartoon illustration, like let's say you and I are standing in front of each other and I draw a six, I'll go six. And you'll go nine to you. Right. It's a nine to me. It's exactly. A and you know, it's like, yeah, you know, um, yeah. I think I we posted have, that before. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I think I you it. know, we have two things of what we should use, and one thing that gets us in trouble. So we got two eyes, two ears, and one mouth, and maybe one something else. And those one things get us in trouble. But we have two two eyes for a reason. <laughs> You know, thank God we don't have two mouths. You know what I mean? But yeah, we have two eyes and two ears. Use them, you know? That, that's, yeah. that's my perspective. Well, no, and that's, that's part of the reason I do the podcast is to hear different perspectives from people from all walks of life. I think that's what's most fascinating about America is like you got people from all over there that have moved here from all over the world and grown up in different parts. Even different parts of the country are, are so different. California is so different from Arizona and Washington is so different from Tennessee, you know? So yeah. Oh, yeah. it's fun. Definitely. Definitely check. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, I'm loving the new album. Uh, I, I just discovered you. So I'm doing a, you know, deep dive of listening to some of your older stuff too. So I'd love to see you live. Now you're going to be on tour, right? Absolutely. We're starting to get out of the cave, man. <laughs> okay. So what, I didn't see Arizona on the list. Will you be coming through this way? And, and if so, if you, I don't know if you've been here before, which venues would you play? Cause I'm thinking maybe like the rhythm room or I don't, I don't know. The rhythm room in the past. So have you, okay. I'd be coming back to Phoenix for sure. I love Phoenix. It's a great, great town. Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially in the winter. It's uh, the place yeah. to be. It is. It is. Yeah. Right Very on. cool. Well, look for that. So people can get, they can listen to the new album. They can stream it or they can, they can buy a hard copy, right? They can buy vinyl or CD. Oh, vinyl CD. Um, if they go to our website, anthonygomes.com, um, there's a click on the homepage and it takes you to every place you can buy this album, Amazon, uh, from Rat Pack Direct to get signed stuff. Um, you know, yeah, FYE, uh, Barnes and Noble. It's it's every, at finer record stores. Okay. Yeah, great. And then I always end each episode promoting a charity. And I love this. You actually have your own charity. Music is the medicine uh, and they go, people can go to musicisthemedicine.org. I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, explain to my audience what this uh, charity is. This is very cool. Uh, well, music has given so much to, to me um, that I wanted an opportunity to give back. And um, 
if it wasn't for music, I don't know if I'd be here. I had, you know, a, a real challenging um, teen years. And, you know, my mom was diagnosed with paranoia and schizophrenia. And it, it, it made growing up really, really challenging. And music was my refuge, man. It was my rock. And uh, it became the parent that I couldn't have while my mom was dealing with what she's dealing with. And she's in a much better place today. Um, Are your parents still together? I was going to ask. No, you that. no they're, they're yeah. not. They're not. Because that would be really hard to be married to somebody with, with paranoid schizophrenia. Yeah, they lasted a long time. And it, interestingly enough, my mom's sort of the one that, that walked away. Uh, just because she wanted to be alone, you know, it's it's not an easy, um, some, it's not easy, you know. So uh, no, I had a I have a friend who, uh, the, believe it or not, because I have a master's in psychology, so I studied this stuff, and I have a friend who was diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic, and he beat that. He actually got a a, a clear uh, diagnosis of no signs of paranoid schizophrenia, which is like almost unheard of, but yeah. Yeah, he wrote a book about it. It's a, it's a really fascinating thing. Cause it's, that's a very hard disease because it, it's not a very good prognosis usually. No, no, no. And, and, you know, let's rewind 40 years ago. Um, and, and, you know, our understanding of things and society's understanding was, was uh, not what it is today. Hmm. Um, so anyway, what we've done is we've in, in this, We've given to uh, uh, given guitars to kids with nonverbal autism. We've raised money uh, for scholarships, for music education. Uh, we provided listening stations for St. Jude's Hospital uh, so kids could listen to music. Um, you know, all, all sorts of things. Uh, Wasn't there? You know, didn't you give a guitar to a vet with PTSD that like it was like yeah. he was nonverbal? He didn't hadn't talked, and then he got a guitar and then he started like talking, asking, how do I play this? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we've given, yes, guitars to veterans with uh, PTSD and this guy wasn't speaking, man. And so, uh, and they were giving guitar lessons and uh, after not speaking for a decade or something, he said, Hey man, can you show me how you did that? And it just, it, it was the gateway. Um, a friend of mine that. said, yeah, a friend of mine called me up and said, Hey man, there's a hospital in Montreal that has a paranoid schizophrenic people in a choir. It's a choir run by a hospital and they do gigs and they make CDs. So uh, we raised money for them to get their own PA. Oh. And then we gave them, you know, they gave us a little concert and they were so grateful. And we thought, wow, we got to do more. So with the help of our fans, we raised enough money to get them a recording studio in the hospital. So wow. it, it, yeah. Uh, I'm sure the hospital hates us on drum track. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, uh, look, you know, it's a small uh, foundation, but every dollar that's donated goes directly. There's there's because it's a very humble thing. There's, you know, no full time staff. It's all volunteers. So if anybody makes a donation, you know, every penny on the dollar is going to help somebody or something. So, okay. um, yeah. So, Very cool. I'll put that in the in the show notes along with your website, and people get the new album and uh, check the the website for tour dates. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate that, Chuck. All right. Well, thanks, Anthony. It was nice chatting with you, and I hope to see you on tour. Yeah, man. We'll see you in Phoenix, brother. All thanks right. Room. Room. All right. See yeah. you then. Bye bye. My thanks again to Anthony. Check out his new record, High Voltage Blues. It's the number one blues rock record. And uh, check out his website for tour dates. This is the kind of music I love to see live personally. 
If you really want to experience the blues, I think you have to see it live. And I think a small venue is best, not some big festival or stadium, but a nice small club where you can sit back, have a drink, an alcohol drink or non-alcohol drink, but somewhere you can see the band and uh, play and really observe the guitars, the drums, the bass, the vocals, and really be able to see and hear it all. I love it. I love music. And even though I can't play, I'm a fan and hopefully I can help these artists by promoting their music on my show. If you want to show your support for the artists, buy their merch, uh, buy their music, go see a show. And of course, your likes, shares and comments on social media help them out. And of course, that helps uh, me out as well. So it goes the same for me and the show. If you want to do those things, uh, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you listen. Thank you for your support. Have a great day and shoot for the moon. Mm -hmm.